And we have the prophetic word, which is more certain. This is the centerpiece of the first chapter of Peter's second letter. Focusing not actually on the transfiguration, which of course we are celebrating today, but instead on the scriptures themselves. This is important for all of us, I think, because especially living in a place like Quebec, where atheism or agnosticism is the predominant religion, we often wonder, sometimes even us pastors, if God could only come and perform miracles, then surely everyone would flock back to his name. If only pastors had the ability to walk into Montreal General Hospital, either the English one or the French one, and simply pray over top of people and have them cured of their cancer, have them freed from hospital care, have all the emergency rooms emptied out, then surely then people would acknowledge the existence of God. The only problem with that idea is that it's been tried before in the past and it never seems to work. In fact, almost every time Jesus performs miracles in the Gospels, not only does it not cause everybody to flock back to the cause of God, but it actually serves to divide the people even more. So that you have one group of people who are siding with Jesus and another group of people that are dead set against him. In just a few weeks, we are going to reflect on John chapter 9, one of the four John readings for the middle of the season of Lent. And in the middle of that chapter, we hear that there was a man who was born blind, who was cured by Jesus, only to be brought before the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes, the scriptures say. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Not only did that miracle not bring all of the religious leaders together, it actually drew them further apart. It also brought animosity anger against the one who was performing the miracles. Matthew chapter 9, as they were going away, the disciples, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to Jesus. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons." One group of people convinced that, yes, indeed, God has come among us, and another group saying, no, it's just the work of the devil. The miracle didn't draw them together, but forced them further apart. And in fact, according to John's gospel, it's, as I told the confirmation class this morning, the granddaddy of all miracles that results in the granddaddy of all indictments from the human race against their God, the cry for Jesus to be crucified. That was the raising of Lazarus. Many of the Jews after that event, according to John 11, who had come to Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? This man performs many signs. 
If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Far from being the thing that drew everyone to his father and to himself, the more Jesus performed miracles, the more people seemed divided and unsure what exactly God was up to, if there was a God up to anything at all. And the miracles themselves could be very ambiguous. In fact, it was Simeon the prophet who said so right at the beginning of Jesus's life in the temple, when Simeon received Jesus and blessed both Mary and Joseph, his parents, and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Jesus himself, of course, confronts the people that want to have him killed and says, for which of the good works that I've done do you want to stone me to death? That, you see, my friends, is the problem with miracles. God's tried this before, doing the great miracles in front of the people, and far from bringing everybody rushing back to his side, it has actually divided everyone. Not just divided on the question of God, but actually divided against each other. So whether it's tears falling from the statue of the Virgin Mary, or the appearance of the Virgin at Fatima, or the face of our Lord showing up in a piece of toast, or a healing, or a cure, or a miracle? Do people rush to church? Do they rush to the faith healer who proclaims that they're the one who's done this? Do they go out and buy a whole bunch more of the New Age crystals? Maybe, but maybe not. Now, none of this means that the miracles weren't real. They were all very much real. Peter says as much in our reading for this morning. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I can almost feel Peter's frustration near the end of his ministry as more and more people are hearing the gospel at a distance from all the work that Jesus had done, from his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his ascension. More and more people saying, ah, oh, You've got to be kidding. Man who died, raised from the dead. This man performed miracles. He cured the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He raised the dead. What have you been into, Peter? And there he is trying to make the case. I'm, I'm not kidding. I saw it myself. These were all very real encounters with his Lord, including, as we celebrate this morning, the transfiguration. Where Jesus appears as he is, the son of God, brilliant with the sun, in the presence of Moses and Elijah, representing all of the word that the Lord had spoken through the prophets of old. Moses, the representative of the great covenant made at Sinai with God's people. And Elijah, the great prophet, who performed so many wondrous works before the people, and yet they still wanted to kill him too. Yet in Peter's frustration, he doesn't say we need more miracles. He doesn't say, well, if only Jesus would come and transfigure himself again, then maybe we would have more belief. 
Instead, he makes an interesting turn. He says, we have a sure, more sure word, the prophetic scriptures, and that we would be better following them as to a light shining in a dark place. The miracles you see have limited power because of sin. Sin meaning, as many of you have heard me said before, not the things the world thinks of as sin, the little bad things that we do here and there, speaking meanly to that person that cuts us off on the Metropolitan or maybe being a little bit too anxious in the bank. I'm always stunned when I walk into our bank branches that we have to have these posters up of please be nice. You don't put those up unless what? People aren't being nice. Yes, we think of those as sins, but the great sin here is that we do not see God. God is at work all over the place, and yet we simply don't recognize what's happening. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says, what can be known about God is plain. God has shown it clearly. His invisible attributes that we can't see directly, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. But although we knew God, we did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in our thinking, foolish hearts darkened, claiming to be wise, we become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals, creeping things, crystals, and even mere people whom we imbue with do with godlike powers. The greatest sin in Romans 1 is not turning away from good behavior to becoming immoral, but turning away from God to that which is natural and man-made. In other words, explaining away the miracle. The same miracles happening all around us even today. I had um, a woman whom some of you know who are on the Wednesday night Bible studies, Jane, who was one of my students in my science and religion class at St. Catherine's Seminary. has been attending and she's writing a book on the beauty of God and nature. And she said, I've covered this and this and the other thing. And can you give me some ideas of what more I could talk about in my book? And I said, you know, the one thing we don't really talk about when we talk about the miracle of life is not just individuals and organisms, but the complexity of biospheres themselves. That in a biosphere, it's not just the miracle of the giraffe and the things the giraffe eats and the plants, but the fact that they all exist at the same time and each sustain each other. So much so that even the most radical atheist and agnostic is terrified that we disrupt our biospheres. What about consciousness? The fact that we can think about thinking is a miracle that we just slide by every single day. And yet it was the very miracle that René Descartes based his philosophy on. I think, therefore I am. I can think about things. I can think about the fact that I'm thinking about things. But we've become so blasé about this that when we create a program and feed into it all of the knowledge of the human race, which you can then string together and spit back out at us, we think we've created life. My goodness, artificial intelligence. There is only one way to faith in God. 
And it's the way that the transfiguration texts speak about today. It is through the prophetic word, which is always more certain and more available than any single miracle. It's why Peter, with full confidence, the same Peter that saw the transfiguration, that was present at Jesus's arrest, that knew about his crucifixion and was there when he rose from the dead, that same Peter can still write, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Yes, Peter says, we saw the transfiguration. We saw Jesus shining like the sun. We saw the miracle. But then Peter is thinking about the fact that even after that miracle, he himself and James and John descended from that mountain into the valley of everyday life. And even though Jesus still performed more miracles, by the time he was arrested, Peter himself denied not once, not twice, but three times that he had ever been his disciple. And I have to imagine that Peter is reflecting on that and thinking, if only I'd paid more attention to Jesus's word and less to his miracles. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter didn't listen. He said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. But Jesus's sure prophetic word always stands. And even as Peter forgot the transfiguration and the raising of Lazarus and the feeding of the 5,000 and the giving of sight to the blind man and the restoration of hearing to the deaf man and the being able to take a paralyzed man and bring him up to his feet. Because he didn't pay attention to the word. He still drifted away. God's promises in his word are the most certain thing we have in life. Because it's in his word that Jesus promises us forgiveness. It's in his word that Jesus says, you have been made righteous before the father by me. It's in his word that we have the promise that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. It's in his word that we have the command to baptize, that sins might be forgiven and people made Christian. It's in the word that we have his last will and testament. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat my body, drink my blood. We are not called to stare at Jesus. We are not called to wish for miracles. We are called by the voice from heaven to listen to him. And the way we listen to him is in reading his prophetic word. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.